pursue your purpose, speak your truth, deal with adult bullies, cope with failure, live beyond fear, establish values, set boundaries, move past trauma. These are all the themes in my Amazon bestseller, The Smart Girls Handbook. Tribers get in close. For 15 years, I have been searching for a book that didn't exist. So I am thrilled to share that I decided to write it. The Smart Girls Handbook is available to buy now from wherever you get your books and also in Canada, the United States of America, New Zealand and Australia. Everything we do is a response to something you have asked for and girl, have you been begging me for a book for years? Who is it for you? The reviews are outstanding. The press has been phenomenal and I am overwhelmed by the amazing support it has had already. This isn't my book, but our book. I realised after my talks around the world, women would be queuing for hours just to ask me one question. I didn't want them to just walk away, but to have a tangible source to have forever. And this is it. This is refreshing, never before read content that will inspire, motivate, empower, inform and entertain you. It's full of my personal development tips that have got me living as my most authentic and highest self, literally glowing from within. My most vulnerable moments and hilarious stories that will resonate with you. The Smart Girls Handbook is a celebration of womanhood and the book missing from your library. So grab your copy today, tag me on Instagram at smartgirltribe and I will send you an exclusive gift just to say thank you. Rebecca Kimberley is an award-winning cognitive behavioural therapist and trainee clinical psychologist. Are you bored of those positive emotions-only posts or friends who simply say things could always be worse? Today, we are diving into toxic positivity, why it is dangerous, how it is counterproductive, how to approach your friend who is positive in an unhealthy way, how to get comfortable with negative emotions, and how to practice emotional resilience. This episode is insightful, informative, and it was a joy having Rebecca on. As always, let me know your thoughts on Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe, and don't forget to subscribe. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for coming on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast today. I would love to hear your explanation when it comes to toxic positivity. So, toxic positivity, I guess it's you being really focused on just positive thinking and just having a positive outlook on everything that we experience. Um, so, ultimately, it's about kind of denying any sort of negative emotions or even like within yourself or within other people as well and just focusing on positivity regardless of how challenging or upsetting a situation might be. And can emotions be divided into negative or positive emotions or are they completely fluid as in they're neither? They are neither. They're completely neutral. It's just simply the meaning that we attach to them based on how it makes us feel so you know we can categorize like negative emotions or bad emotions because they make us feel awful and not just that but they can lead us to you know do certain things that if you're feeling happy or content you probably wouldn't feel so as humans we just experience a wide range of emotions like neither of them are good or bad but we place that emphasis on it. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then could you describe the difference between being positive and then your positivity being toxic or unhealthy? Yeah, so I guess it's kind of like being positive is a good thing. It's good for us to have an optimistic outlook on life. It's good for us to experience positive things. However, I guess the toxic positivity element is ignoring or neglecting 
that there is a difficult emotion that you are experiencing. So I guess the an example being if you're feeling particularly bad and you're trying to look at like a positive aspect of the situation, but still acknowledge that it's a difficult situation, then that's more of having a positive outlook. Whereas toxic positivity is like, nope, I'm fine. Everything is good. Everything is fine. Um, I'm not upset when actually you are. Mm -hmm. Would you say being the expert, we are unhealthily positive more toward ourselves or others? I would say that it's a bit of both, but probably more towards ourselves because how we relate to others is kind of how we're relating to ourselves. So Mm -hmm. it's if you're finding that you're neglecting the emotions of others, it's most likely because you're doing that yourself as well. Okay. And could you explain how toxic positivity is dangerous? Because I'm very much somebody who walks around and says, you know what, that's okay, that's an obstacle, but it's something that... I'll overcome or I'll enter a negative experience and then I'll just think, okay, well, see the positive side. This is a lesson. So could you explain for anyone listening who is wired the same way how toxic positivity is dangerous? Yeah, so it's dangerous for various different things because if it is toxic positivity, then most people will tend to ignore their own unhelpful outcomes as well. Um, So research has shown that actually when we are suppressing our emotions, it can lead to things like, you know, increased levels of depression or anxiety or sleep problems. And those things will negatively impact on your mental health. And actually just by suppressing those difficult emotions, it just intensifies them and makes them last longer. So things can build up. Um, The situation itself doesn't really get solved. It can also, when we're thinking about different ways that it can impact on people is if they are in a difficult situation and something that comes to mind is kind of like someone being in a domestically violent abusive relationship and if they are kind of using toxic positivity as a coping strategy they're not acknowledging the severity and difficulty of the situation and are less likely to seek support uh, which is a major thing if people aren't acknowledging their difficult emotions they're less likely to reach out and can lead them to staying in situations or even relationships that don't feel good. So when it comes to relationships then, could you provide some examples as to how some people within a relationship are being positive but in an unhealthy manner? So I guess it's when somebody is quick to dismiss your experience um, and how you're feeling by, you know, oh, it could be worse, or you always complain about something, or, you know, just just look on the bright side. And not just kind of one-off, but time and time again. So often it's kind of frequency that it's happening. And just the experience of invalidating someone's emotions, invalidating someone's experiences, which can really harm relationships because we're unable to really form authentic and deep relationships um, and connections with others. If we're not really being authentic with ourselves and also being able to share that difficult emotion or that difficult situation or experience. Mm -hmm. And how can toxic positivity be counterproductive? Well, it doesn't really lead to anything. You know, it doesn't, in some sense, you're almost kind of convincing yourself or convincing others that you're okay when it's not. And that doesn't lead to a kind of positive outlook on the situation. It kind of does the opposite. Mm -hmm. being the experts then would you consider the law of attraction dangerous because that is the very idea that you attract your thoughts 
Yeah, so I have a personal difficulty. This is just my personal opinion on like the law of attraction, that the idea about you attract your thoughts. I, I think it is true to an extent that when we are experiencing, you know, negative thoughts, that will impact on how we're feeling. But I struggle with the idea of law of attraction is there's an element around if somebody has experienced trauma, there's a strong narrative that like, you know, you've created the experience that you are in or have been in when that's not true. You know, someone has gone through a difficult situation through no, no fault of their own. And we think as, as children, if children had experienced trauma, which they do, um, would we really say that they thought that into existence and that's what they wanted? It's not, um, yeah, that's just something that I, I have a difficulty with. Could we touch on faith a little bit then? Because researching and looking into this topic, there were many stories that were presented to me that I came across where people said there is an element of toxic positivity there because, again, you're believing that maybe what has happened to you is because, for example, your faith isn't strong enough. So would you put that in the same category as the law of attraction? Yeah, I put that in a similar category. And there is a lot of toxic positivity within like faith. I grew up as Christian. And when I was going through difficult times, I did get a lot of responses about, oh, you just need to pray more and you just need to go to church more and you need to you know, there's that kind of resp- responsibility back on the individual about what they're experiencing based on what they're not doing, which can be really harmful because as as I know and as we know that regardless of your faith and, uh, you know, what you believe in, what you practice, we are human. Part of the human experience is to experience pain and suffering. And so therefore that's not any particular wrongdoing of your own or, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are things that could potentially help such as, you know, immersing yourself into your faith a bit more, but putting that link about, you know, I'm experiencing bad things because of this makes it very difficult, again, for people to acknowledge that that's what they're truly experiencing. And then they're less likely to reach out for support for people as well. Mm -hmm. And could you just provide some statements that you would consider toxic or some everyday language that we use, which could also be considered toxic and or unhealthy? Yeah, so this kind of movement about good vibes only, like positive vibes only, really unhelpful. Um, That just kind of shuts out everything. And don't get me wrong, there are times when we have to say to ourselves, you know, I just just need to think positively. I need to get through a particular situation in a short period of time, in a short moment. Um, It can also come with statements that we use, like everything happens for a reason or it could be worse or the kind of at least, you know, statement. So if you're struggling at work and having a really difficult time and then someone's like oh at least you have a job or you're struggling to pay rent and it's like well at least you have somewhere to live that doesn't take away from someone's experience that they are struggling with work or they're struggling with their finances and their living situation and it makes people feel as though they you know aren't being grateful for their experience but we still experience suffering regardless of how good we might have it in certain areas absolutely I absolutely love your definition there how you have said that that language is taking away from your very own experience because it's true I have been in situations before and I remember people close to me uh, really tough experiences and they would say Scarlett you're okay positive vibes think positively nobody is dying here and that was still quite hard to hear because it made me think okay that's true I need to 
back up. I just need to get it together. I need to get a grip. And I think also this suppressing negative emotions or emotions full stop, you know, even when someone is being emotional and someone is crying. And I have professed on this very podcast that I am a crier. I don't tend to argue. I don't tend to dispute. I just get quite emotional. And I have heard many people say to me before, oh, you know, just get a grip, pull it together, think positively. Yeah. Ignoring or suppressing negative emotions can be a form of gaslighting or self-manipulation. So when we are feeling down or we are feeling blue or going through a challenging time, being the expert, how should we instead be reacting to those emotions or those negative situations or experiences? The first thing that comes to mind there is to actually acknowledge what it is that you're feeling. So naming it, it's very hard for us to work with any emotion, any thought, any anything actually without being aware of what it is that we are experiencing in the first place. So actually just taking a moment to kind of sit down, like what am I actually feeling? So some of our emotions, like we kind of have what we call primaries and secondary emotions. And our primary emotions are things like you know, sadness, happiness, um, fear, those kind of things. Whereas our secondary emotions are things like anger, guilt, they kind of come as a result of something else. So for an example I like to use is if you are with a child and you're about to cross the road and that child runs out into the road and you kind of pull them back in because it's a busy road. And the first reaction you feel like you have is just anger. Oh my goodness, why did you do that? You know, it's dangerous, etc. But the underlying emotion there is actually fear that something could have gone wrong, something bad could have happened, but the anger kind of kicks in. And we do it with ourselves a lot. So actually just checking in with ourselves, you know, how am I actually actually feeling and what what is that to do with that helps us to get to the the nature of what it is that we might be experiencing and have a bit more compassion towards ourselves for feeling that emotion and just trying to sit with it so not being quick to react to it but actually just acknowledging that it's there and sitting with it because our emotions come and go it's very like our emotions are not things that stay there permanently. We may frequently experience a particular type of emotion um, and it may feel like it's chronic, but there are moments where it kind of comes and goes. So being able to sit with the waves of it and that then helps us to be able to respond to it when you're paying attention to this is what I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling it. You're better able to respond to yourself with what do I need now? Like What do I need to do now? Whereas if we're in the height of the emotion, it's really difficult for us to be able to access our higher level thinking, access problem solving, access those types of things. So it's really important to be able to sit with that and notice how it's making you feel before you respond quickly with it. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the antidote to toxic positivity? I think it's exactly that, like sitting with your emotions and aiming it and trying to like tame it in that sense so we use a term called name it to tame it and that's actually acknowledging how you're feeling so instead of being quick to ignore and suppress those difficult emotions it's starting to widen the perspective that yes there may be kind of positive things that you're experiencing within a difficult situation but looking at the whole breadth of your emotions looking at the whole breadth of the situation not being so quick to kind of downplay how you're feeling and just actually sitting with it. For a lot of people, we become quick to rush into toxic positivity because we don't feel comfortable with our emotions. So actually it's just getting comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. 
Do you feel that toxic positivity is a fairly new concept or do you feel that it has always been around? I think it has always been around for sure. Um, Definitely has been always been around because a lot of the statements that I hear from my older clients tend to be quite similar, but I don't think it would have come under the umbrella of toxic positivity. I think that's a new term that we're using to be able to explain that and explore that a little bit more, which is also good to be able to have a name to put to those things rather than it just being, you know, typical British culture to just have a stiff upper lip and get on with things, but actually we're moving towards a direction of I'm not I'm not okay things aren't okay and that's okay as well I do completely agree I think possibly social media has had a huge impact on this kind of concept because we come across daily posts saying positive vibes only as we you know a term that we mentioned earlier so I do think that toxic positivity has definitely become more prominent in people's lives and obviously you consume this is media that you are consuming so then you do take it into your everyday life and we do consider it personal growth or personal development oh in order to be my best self I need to be positive so we are talking a lot about naming our emotions but how can we get more comfortable with our emotions because I noticed this a lot now and you're completely right because you said this moments ago we almost have a fear of even feeling our very own emotions. So aside from naming them, how can we get comfortable with how we are feeling? So there are various different ways. I think meditation comes to mind a lot, being mindful. Like mindfulness is a great um, thing to practice in the sense of actually just sitting with it. And one thing that I guess can be a misconception with mindfulness or meditation practices is the idea of having to feel better afterwards or feel more relaxed or doing it to kind of change how you're feeling that may be an outcome but it might not be you might actually be doing it and notice gosh I feel more angry than I thought or I feel worse than I thought not being so quick to numb your emotions for all of us we will have different coping strategies right when we feel a certain thing when we do a certain thing we rush and do something with it And how I can explain that best is thinking about, you know, when we experience physical pain, for example, we don't want to feel physical pain. So we do what we try to do to manage that, whether that's take medication or see a GP, try to get to the root of the problems. And our emotions are a bit different in the sense that it's not a problem to experience a difficult or negative emotion, but actually just sitting with it and not being so quick to numb it, whether that be with alcohol or, you know, rushing to do something to make yourself feel better. If you're noticing that you struggle to be with an emotion, try to question yourself. What do you fear might happen if you allow yourself to cry or if you allow yourself to feel and be angry and just really paying attention to where the emotion is being held in the body, just getting comfortable with literally sitting with that emotion. And that's where daily mindfulness practices can be helpful because every day you're going to be feeling a different sort of emotion and checking in with yourself. And that's a really great way to be able to notice how you're feeling and just sit with that not attaching any particular meaning to it being good or bad. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have seen Friends, Rebecca, but one particular episode springs to mind when Rachel Green is dating an older man and he seems to suppress all of his emotions. And then suddenly she almost convinces him to open up. I remember that being the particular phrase that 
she uses. And then all of a sudden he is crying so much and he can't contain the emotions. So for anyone listening, thinking, my gosh, Bart, if I started naming my emotions, if I get super comfortable with my emotions, particularly my negative emotions, what are the benefits of that? Yeah, yeah, I completely get that because, you know, we, we've got things to do. We don't want to be sick crying all the time or feeling awful all the time. Um, but it is human to feel those things. And actually, the sooner that we turn towards them, the easier it becomes over time. So the first couple of times you do that, it will feel uncomfortable. There are moments in therapy where people kind of shut off from their emotions. And then when they start to open up, they find that very difficult. But over time, it becomes easier and you get more comfortable with it. If we're thinking about anything that we were once uncomfortable with, that now we're comfortable with, it's through kind of exposure, repetition, reminding ourselves that the more we do something, the easier it becomes. So if you are really fearful of crying uncontrollably, it might happen the first time, but eventually you stop. You know, we don't stay angry forever. We don't cry over the same thing forever. It's part of our healing and processing to be able to actually experience it. The only way we can process our emotions and, and everything really is by working through them. The more you suppress it, you're actually just keeping it there and allowing it to brew up. And that's why that can come out in an outburst. But when you become better at managing it over time, then it's, it's, you're less likely to, to get to that point. Mm-hmm. One example or scenario does mm-hmm. also spring to mind where I have a lot of conversations with friends, even strangers, and they open up to me. They share that they are afraid of maybe telling someone they like them or asking someone out. The fear of rejection or even the fear of going out with that person and then subsequently breaking up or separating, once again, avoiding those negative emotions so what would you say there to anyone listening who completely almost self-sabotages primarily because they just have a fear of experiencing an emotion that maybe isn't a happy emotion yeah yeah and that's a really good example because that is how it works in the sense of the avoidance like avoiding certain situations based on what you fear might come come through So I think really starting to challenge the thoughts and fears that tend to come up. Often it tends to be around, you know, not just that you experience that emotion, but actually there's something a bit deeper than that. People often fear that it could be anything, that they'll never find love again or et cetera, all those additional attachment of meanings that we place to things. But really starting to, the, the best way that we overcome avoidance, for example, is by doing that thing that we're avoiding and getting comfortable with that. And it's not that you get to a point where you're like, oh, I love I love being rejected. I love this feeling. But actually acknowledging that I can still feel this emotion and be okay. And that's ultimately what we're trying to kind of get to within ourselves is that I can experience a difficult emotion and be able to manage it. But if we're not, if we're purposefully avoiding situations that make us feel a certain way, we're never going to be able to really remind ourselves and convince ourselves that we are going to be okay and that we can manage it. But if you're aware that there is a particular thing that you're fearing, then maybe it's setting up, you know, a plan almost of how things are going to go. So I don't know if it is something about dating and they do reject you. How are you going to manage that? So almost having a a sort of plan, well, maybe I'll, you know, sit and watch TV for a bit or do nice things for myself. Almost preempting that that emotion might particularly come up and having a way to manage that, whatever that looks like for you. And being the expert, I would love to get your view Rebecca why is it important that we get comfortable with the idea of failure rejection 
heartbreak. Why is it important that as humans we experience these negative, I don't want to say emotions, but negative things, negative experiences? Unfortunately, it is part of being human to experience suffering, to experience rejection, to experience all of those types of things. It, it's not something we can avoid. What tends to happen is people will really limit their life and limit their experiences just to avoid experiencing a certain thing. And that, for most people, is, is the difficult thing that actually they, they can't go out and date. They're not applying for jobs that they want to do because of that particular emotion, because of fearing that particular thing. So it is really important to be comfortable and get to a point of, you know what, I will be devastated. I will be upset that, you know, I didn't get that job or this relationship didn't work out. That's not to say that, you know, you're, it will be fine in that you'll just be happy. You'll just get on with it. You'll just deal with it. But just how empowering it can be for yourself to know if I were to experience that difficult thing, I have confidence in myself that I will be able to manage that emotion, whether that's like within myself or with a therapist, something like that. We can't avoid negative things happening. They will happen regardless, but it can feel very life limiting to limit certain experiences based on that. I completely agree. And I also think you're able to, it comes back, it's fairly cliche, you're able to appreciate the joy that you then experience in life and the happy moments more so if you have gone through suffering if you have gone through the trenches it seems that we're talking or referring a lot to emotional resilience and I feel that this is something that we really need to practice more as a society so again being the experts Rebecca what would your advice be there how can we become more emotionally resilient I guess there's several things it's being aware of both of all the emotions that you're experiencing because again as you're saying like it's not just negative emotions that people feel uncomfortable with I work a lot with people that do not feel comfortable experiencing positive emotions either and in fact have felt so you know depressed or anxious for such a long time that they're even worried about feeling good because that's uncomfortable it's different so really kind of being in the present, noticing how you're feeling in that particular moment, both in the good things and in the bad things. That can be done like a daily practice, almost kind of checking in with yourself at the beginning of every day, at the end of each day, sit like taking time to reflect. And that can look differently, whether it be journaling, whether it be kind of just a mental note to self or mindfulness, various different ways, paying attention to times where things have been difficult, but you've got through it times where things have been positive and really just sitting with that as well getting really comfortable with just the idea that like these are my emotions and acknowledging as well I guess it's awareness of what emotions are that you know it's part of the human experience they're how our our body does it does it regardless you know it's it's something that we all experience so we have to be able to be comfortable with being human that's essentially what we are and what we experience we can't avoid it Mm -hmm. and how would you then describe an emotion how would you define an emotion oh yeah it's a good question I guess they're like they are essentially like internal road signs or stoplights um but they they have different components as well so we've got like the subjective component which is um like how we feel in that moment so that's the, the names that we put to it like happiness sadness or fear 
And then there's the physiological component, which is how it's impacting on the body. So like when we're feeling excited, you might get kind of butterflies in your stomach, which you also get when you're feeling anxious. When you're feeling low, you might feel numb or there might be a particular body part that hurts. And then there's the behavioral component. So how you respond in response to the emotion that you're feeling. So if, for example, if you are, you know, walking down the road and it's nighttime and you're scared of that you might go a different way where it's a bit well lit because of how you're feeling that will impact on what you're then doing for anyone listening who wishes to become more emotionally resilient and they're feeling you know almost on fire right now they're thinking yes Scarlett yes Rebecca I need to become more emotionally resilient what are some tangible tips or tricks you could offer or or advise someone really to do that what would be your step one Step one, paying attention to your emotion. And if that helps to actually write it down. So using like there are some things you can search for as well called like an emotion wheel, which is like a color wheel that's got all the different types of emotions on there. Because sometimes actually it's really difficult to be able to explain how we are feeling. So getting comfortable with identifying what exactly is this emotion? Like if I were to, and it might be that we're experiencing several at once. So really paying attention to what that is. Then asking yourself, well, where does this come from? What might this be related to? What has triggered this? So again, if you're writing it down, it's kind of naming, this is the emotion. This is what potentially the kind of trigger has been or is. Paying attention to what your body is doing as well. Like how does your body react to that? And then what does that make you want to do in response to that? And throughout all of that, you're wanting to do that with compassion. Because another thing that can be difficult is when we're experiencing a difficult emotion is we become quite critical with ourselves. So being compassionate is actually acknowledging that it's human to feel um, suffering. It's human to feel pain. It's human to not want to kind of sit with those things. So actually acknowledging that as a first step, because that can make it difficult to actually even acknowledge how you're feeling in the moment. But really paying attention to them, writing them down and maybe practicing meditation. So like naming what you're feeling is, a, is an important one. Recognize what's happening in the moment and allowing it to be there. You might even want to kind of set a timer. Like if you are in the height of your emotions and it feels really intense and you just feel like you need to do something, set a kind of two minute timer to really just close your eyes, pay attention to what's happening within you might even need longer to really sit with it and notice how it like lifts and, and goes. But when we're not aware of that, it just feels so intense and we're just carrying it. What I find is that the more that we kind of turn into our emotions and turn away, we're in a better position to notice that it's it's drifting. Kind of like with anxiety, it rises, it peaks. And so with our emotions, they rise, they peak and they fall off. Some people are more susceptible to feeling their emotions more so than others Mm -hmm. do you think that is because of how they are born is it a case of Mm. nurture or nature it's a good question I think there are elements of um both in that you know if somebody has a higher risk of say bipolar or depression in their family or anxiety it might be that they're more susceptible to feeling those things but there is a huge element of nurture as well Um, I've noticed in what we would consider more kind of secure upbringings where there's like you know loving caregivers and they're able to kind of express their emotions safely so when we're thinking about kind of childhood telling children oh it's bad to feel a certain way or you shouldn't feel angry or don't cry all of those messages are actually building 
us as adults, as individuals, as humans to reject certain emotions and reject certain experiences. Whereas in um, situations and relationships with others where you're able to express those difficult things, you feel more comfortable to actually acknowledge that this is what I'm feeling and not being so quick to brush that off and brush it off. Do you think for those who struggle with anxiety, do you think you being the expert again, that you develop anxiety or it is how you are born, perhaps because it's genetic? Hmm. So I don't think, personally, I don't think it's something that you develop. And the reason I say that, I'm sorry, that you're born with, because often whenever I've worked with anybody with anxiety, there's always been either a root cause or like contributing factors towards that. When you pay attention to children and babies and you look around them, it's, they're not feeling anxious. They're not angry. They're not, you know, unless something in particular has happened, you know, for them to feel anger in that particular moment. But these are all things that we develop over time. And anxiety is not just an emotion. It's like a state. It's various different things that are impacted on that. So it's not just the feeling of feeling anxious because that's normal. It's the added worry. It's the physical symptoms that people experience, the avoidance, all of those types of things. And that is developed. Okay, that's um, that's really good to know, actually. I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend and I didn't know whether anxiety is something that you develop or if it's something that just happens. I would love to know, is it possible to develop an emotionally agile framework to not allow your emotions to control you? I think there are definitely things that can help with that. Um, even just in the kind of small things that we've been speaking about, like recognizing emotions, having conversations with people about how you're feeling. Like, you know, when we ask, how are you? Oh yeah, fine. You know, if it is a relationship that you feel confident with opening a bit more of actually just being honest with how you're feeling, journaling to yourself, all those types of things. I don't feel like it's it's um, possible or even healthy to have complete control of your emotions because again they're just emotions are just byproducts of the brain activity it's a kind of automatic response to a particular trigger so that's human and it's normal so the I guess the difficulty that people have is oh well you know somebody does something to me how can I not feel angry you can't not feel how you're feeling you have to acknowledge that that's how you're feeling you may not want to feel that particular thing you may want to try to work towards things differently but it's impossible like it's really difficult to be able to well I don't feel angry I want to feel something else that's not really how it works you know when you're feeling happy you don't sit to yourself and think oh I want to feel angry now so I'm going to be angry and likewise when you're feeling angry you're not going to be like oh I'm going to feel happy now It, it doesn't work like that I have been told that I'm an exceptionally bubbly, happy, sunshine kind of person. I wouldn't say I practice toxic po- toxic positivity. I'm very aware of emotions and those around me. For anyone who is listening in thinking, I have a friend who is positive, but in an unhealthy way, they are very much Miss, you need to get over it, positive vibes only, etc. How can you have that conversation with them? How can you approach that? And what should you say to almost heavily imply, if not say directly to them, your positivity is toxic? 
So, yeah, that's a really really good point. And the first thing that comes to mind is, yeah, as you're saying that kind of thing about your positivity is toxic. When we are saying or, you know, communicating difficult things to people, naturally we all as humans have defence mechanisms. So I feel like if somebody was to say that to me, my initial reaction would be to get defensive. Be like, oh, you know. So I always like to frame it with actually this is my experience this is how I feel because nobody can take that away from you you know you feel a certain way so when you did this I felt this sometimes it's helpful to have a like specific example so again if you're not being like oh you always see this and you always do that that may not necessarily always be true and they they certainly won't see it that way either so more so when you said this particular thing this is how I felt about it and just kind of opening up that way as a discussion can be helpful I also end the podcast with two questions, Rebecca. The first being, what is your favourite quote or the mantra you live by? Oh, that's a really good question. It's, I don't think there are. I think the one that I am paying attention to more at the moment is working hard and playing harder. Well, swapping that with resting harder as well, depending on like my mood. Because life is very busy for myself and a lot of people at the moment. And there is this kind of element of what's the quote about work hard play later or something work hard rest later I can't remember what it is um but I don't think that's true you know it's good to work hard and it's good to do what we need to do that's life but actually there's so much more in experiencing pleasure and experiencing rest and listening to yourself yes rest cannot be earned no it's a basic right like it's it's not something that we can just reward ourselves with completely and what books or podcasts on this particular subject would you recommend to our audience Hmm. so there's one called uh toxic positivity um i can't remember who it's by but if you're able to link it i think it's like keeping it real in a world obsessed with being happy or something like that and there's also one called emotional agility and i think the title has something about getting unstuck and thriving in work and life I think those are kind of good ones to start with well thank you so much Rebecca for coming on to the podcast today it was wonderful to have this conversation with you thank you it's been great Thank you for listening to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I am your host, Scarlett V. Clark, award-winning founder and CEO of Smart Girl Tribe, the UK's number one female empowerment organisation, host of this top-rated podcast, the Smart Girl Tribe podcast, and author. You are my community, my family, so come and follow along for more female empowerment and personal development in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or on Twitter or Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe.